we've gone through some ups and downs. I mean, we, it hasn't been all, you know, all, uh, all roses the entire time. There's been some pretty significant, some issues. We had to do a mic token migration because the initial smart contract was done wrong by one of the, you know, p- people that we worked with in the beginning, um, which was a pain because ETH gas fees were going through the roof at the time. I mean, there's been, there's been lows, lows, and there's been really high highs. You know, when we listed on Binance and people are going crazy and, the, you know, those, those types of things are really fun. So, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful that they're, you know, supportive of our of our vision and our mission. You're listening to Crypto Savvy, the show that demystifies digital assets and uncovers all things cryptocurrency. Brought to you by the Hashkey Group, a leader in financial technology and digital asset management. Crypto Savvy, the essentials. We're going down the rabbit hole into DeFi or decentralized finance today with John Patrick Mullen. He's the co-founder and council member of Mantra DAO, a community-governed DeFi staking and lending pro- platform. He also heads up Soma Finance, a U.S.-regulated multi-asset decentralized exchange for tokenized equity and STOs. Prior to this, he served as the managing director of a boutique investment bank focused on providing financial services and capital raising solutions for startups and SMEs. As an educator, he's also spoken at leading universities around the world, including Harvard, London Business School and Peking University. Welcome to John Patrick Mullen. In the booth with me today, John Patrick Mullen. John, you started out as an investment banker and founded Mantra Dow in May 2020. I think clearly blockchain has played a transformational role in your career. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey before setting up Mantra Dow and uh, how you came upon blockchain and the concept for Mantra? Yeah, absolutely. So um, mine actually goes back before. I was working at the bank. I had a buddy back in college who kind of introduced me to Bitcoin around 2012, 2013, named Trey Tomlinson. Shout out to Trey. Every podcast I do, I shout him out because he's part of the story. So he introduced me to it back then, and, and I you know, was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. I somewhat understand it, but I don't necessarily understand the total transformational capabilities of this technology at that point. I mean, I was in college, and it was like, okay, you're buying Bitcoin or you're buying beer that weekend. and. 50-50 chance on what I was doing. <laughs> um, but anyway, that kind of got me uh, like in tune with what was happening to a degree, so I started looking into it a little bit more. Fast forward a little bit, I'm just completing my my second master's in economics in Shanghai at Tongji University, and I ended up getting a job at uh, Guotai Junan Securities, which is this kind of Chinese investment bank. I was like one of the first foreigners to, to work there, like ever. Pretty interesting experience there as well. That was definitely more traditional to start, so I was like looking more in the traditional finance world. But I always had an interest in tech. I was always kind of keen on this, on this type of thing. Now, you um, introduced the company in May 2020, there was a little bit uh, disrupting the global economy back then. It didn't seem like a uh, perfect time to start, or maybe it was the right time to start a DAO at the outset of COVID. We were basically looking at all these types of uh, STO deals because they had this special license issued by FINRA and actually it's an STO security token. Security token offering. So, yeah, Thank so you. It's, yeah, there you go. So, they had this special license issued by FINRA um, that we spent, you know, 
almost two years and a half kind of getting, and it's still a very special and unique license, actually, that allows you to do private placements of tokenized securities for institutional down to retail investors on any blockchain. So we got this license, and we started doing a uh, the first compliant digital securities or tokenized securities offering in the U.S. We were actually working with a, a basketball player named Spencer Dinwiddie. We ended up actually placing that deal compliantly, but it closed in... I think like March of 2020, so like right as the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Um, so that worked, but it didn't like have the you know massive kind of transformative effect that we thought it was going to have. And also around that time, you know, we just were like, okay, what the hell is going on with the world? What are we going to do? You know, all these deals are seemingly drying up, so we have to do something. And we had been also reach, researching kind of proof of stake blockchains, so POS, which is uh, you know different consensus than proof of work like Bitcoin has, um, as well as uh, Substrate, which is the framework for what Polkadot is built on. So these kind of theses, theses that we had in our mind helped to kind of create what MantraDAO is today, which is this kind of multi-chain DeFi platform. This was really before DeFi was like super, super popular, so we were a little bit ahead of the curve, I would say. Um, summer of last year was like crazy DeFi summer, which was uh, interesting to say the least. So that, that was really like the kickoff of everything. We just honestly got a little bit lucky with timing. Great. Okay. Well, um, introduce us to Mantra DAO and the services you offer. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, like I kind of hinted at, it's this multi-chain DeFi platform. It's currently built on Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Polygon, uh, launching shortly on Solana, Terra, several other EVM compatible chains are actually building our own chain as well. Polkadot first? Uh, no, we are we are launching shortly on a uh, Polkadot parachain. So we originally launched it as this like Polkadot native project, but Polkadot's just taken a little bit longer to develop its whole ecosystem. It's a very complex beast. We were maybe a little bit too Maybe a little naive, to be completely honest, but also maybe a little bit wishful thinking. And so uh, you were, yes. Apologies to jump off that. that you were ta- explaining Mantra Dow. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it, that is part of the story. So originally it was meant to be Polkadot first, right? But because of you know just the way that technology is is, is released and developed, we had to launch on something because we had this really ambitious roadmap to launch all these products, which included you know staking, lending, borrowing, you know all these different DeFi primitives. Um, but because you know the Polkadot parachain auctions are just happening now, um, like literally a year and a half after we launched in the beginning, <laughs> we had this ambitious roadmap that we had to hit. So we launched on chains that were available to us at the time, including Ethereum, eventually Binance Smart Chain, which is a lower cost option, Polygon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so at its kind of core, it's just this suite of DeFi products, staking, lending and borrowing. We have a launch pad for capital raising. And then it's tied together by this kind of token model, which is an Ohm governance token, which allows you to participate in how various uh, economic parameters in the in the system are kind of set, which projects you want to see, assets you want to have added to the platform, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that's where like the DAO part comes in. So John, I want to return back to May 2020 when you founded Mantra DAO and you were coming off the back of a spectacular implosion. What <laughs> was Mantra DAO trying to solve at that time, and how well have you uh, how well have you achieved that vision? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think at the time we we saw kind of the beginning of this DeFi experience. And it also goes straight into the name. You know, why did we choose Mantra and why is our token Ohm? And, you know, why did we use all these kind of East Asian kind of uh, Zen kind of uh, monikers? The whole idea at the time was to create, again, non-custodial financial products that were governed by the community, hence the DAO. So there's also a double entendre there as well. Obviously, DAO meaning a decentralized autonomous organization also can play on the religion. But basically, the whole idea was that you know mantras when you you know say them, they're meant to give you kind of 
peace of mind, put you put you at ease. And we wanted to do that with your finances. So again, you're in control of your finances. You're in control of you know, how the platform is functioning, how it's working. If you don't like the people who are involved with it, you can vote them out to make it a little bit more democratic in that sense. So that's really what the whole goal was. And I think, you know, we've done pretty well. I mean, we hit our entire roadmap that we said that we were initially going to lay out. And I remember like literally just a year ago, we were approaching the end of our kind of Q4 roadmap for last year, and we had these major product launches all, <laughs> all at the end of the year. I'm happy to say that I don't have to do this again last year because, like last year, Christmas was an absolute nightmare. I was literally working until I think, I think like 2:30 a.m. on New Year's Eve. I was literally at a party. We were launching new products, like <laughs> just to make sure we get them out before the end of the year, kind of thing. Um, so we really hustled our ass off, and you know, we built a solid community behind that, which I think is great. You know, and we built it from quite literally nothing. I mean, we really grew from, you know, three to 50 in about a year and a half. You know, the, the business makes tons and tons of money, not just because, you know, crypto's done well, but because we've set up multiple business lines that are profitable, revenue generating, and it allow, it's allowed us to grow significantly. And, and with that, we've been able to adopt the vision, you know, iterate on top of it. And we know we have a pretty cool roadmap ahead for, for 2022. Fantastic. Well, I'll come to that in a bit. And I also want to dive deeper into the products. Sure. But first, I got to pick apart DAO. Um, <laughs> so, DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. Yes. Uh, and you set this up to specifically be a DAO. Um, what was the inspiration and how is it living up to the dream? Another great question. <laughs> so, we kind of set this up again to be a community governed platform. That was the whole idea. Obviously, DAOs, particularly now, are ex- extremely hot. It's kind of the, the flavor of the month, kind of, so to speak. You know, that being said, there's levels to DAOs, right? Having something like totally decentralized from day one, a bit hard. Obviously, you can't have entire, you know, decision making processes for every single little thing decentralized, where every single token holder is voting all the time. People get burned out on that really quick. You know, let's take the US government example. If you're voting on every single little thing that the US government's going to do, the U.S. population can barely handle it once every four years, let alone, let alone if you're doing these kind of votes like every month. So finding you know community participation is, is a very hard thing for DAOs, I would say. And we do that through, through various levels. So there's like hard governance where you actually have binding on-chain uh, votes where you know you maybe you're upgrading a system and you get the community to participate. There's soft governance where you just indicate on-chain, you know, via some sort of on-chain kind of uh, signing mechanism what people's you know feelings and sentiments are that does not mean that if you know maybe it doesn't go the way that you know is best doesn't mean it has to be enacted so that's kind of what the soft part and then there's just general like spending time with the community talking to them doing amas hearing them out engaging with them and just seeing what the general community sentiment is so there's different levels that i think are important um amas ask me anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's tons of uh tons of these acronyms in crypto no 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 it's uh i i try to get the the wording behind each and every acronym so. <laughs> there we go yeah so there's there's these different levels that you need to kind of engage and what we plan to do as well, and this is like we just had a kind of a management meeting yesterday with with our with our management team about what do we see as you know the kind of the goals and vision for for next year with the roadmap and you know what we want to do with Mantra, and I think the most repeated 
statement. And we did this anonymously, too, when we were kind of putting all these uh, ideas together. The most repeated thing was develop a kind of governance framework that's more about on-chain participants where we can actually take what we've already built and start moving it back towards the community as much as possible. Obviously, in the early days, to be able to operate, execute, and deliver products and deliver what we promised, what we raised money for in the beginning, you do need some semblance of control over certain things. Um, and if you're always having to like say, okay, can I spend like two ETH to do this uh, through a governance vote, you'll never get anything done. But we, we're planning significantly on how we can kind of deliver various elements of this platform to the hands of the community where it's governed completely by them, we actually step away as a manager or kind of the owner. So this governance framework is extremely important. That's like the number one thing we're looking for next year in terms of mantra. So it sounds like um, building a DAO takes uh, a while until you get that engagement with the community and you figure out the right levels of authority. It doesn't happen overnight, absolutely. I think the other kind of important thing is, you know, how do you kind of gamify elements of it to get people to want to participate, right? So you have to be able to incentivize them. You have to be able to have gamified parts of it to make people really, you know, active. And you have to make them feel a part of a community, feel a part of something. That's their people in the end of the day, right? So so tell me about the Mantra DAO community. How large is it and how governable or unwieldy is it? <laughs> yeah, sure. So shout out to the, the Sherpas. We call them the Mantra DAO Sherpas. This was also a community. The community name was voted on by the community, <laughs> of course, as it should be and the Sherpas are kind of cool it's you know kind of again playing on you know ascending a mountain and also some East Asian you know flavor so the Sherpas are amazing I mean there's tens and tens of thousands of them literally all over the world I think when we did our initial crowd offering or initial uh, kind of ICO there was over 81 countries that participated and you know they're extremely active they you know really participate in, in our products they give feedback um, we've gone through some ups and downs I mean we, it hasn't been all you know all, uh, all roses the entire time there's been some pretty significant some issues we had to do a mic token migration because the initial smart contract was done wrong by one of the you know p- people that we worked with in the beginning um, which was a pain because eth gas fees were going through the roof at the time I mean there's been there's been lows lows and there's been really high highs you know when and we listed on Binance and people are going crazy and, you know, those, those types of things are really fun. So, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful that they're, you know, supportive of our of our vision and our mission, even when price isn't always what they want it to be. And like, obviously, as a founder of a project, token project, you can't comment on that kind of stuff. But a lot of the guys, they're like, well, when moon I bought at this price and now it's this price. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, my friend, I really can't do anything to help you there. But, you know, as long as you show face and you show that you're there and you take responsibility for things that don't go wrong or don't go right when when it's your fault, you know they they stick through stick through with you and, and that's the the most important. It's not always easy, uh, definitely not always fun, but as long as you're there for them, they tend to be there for you. Now you mentioned you had an ICO in 81 countries. That would be the utility token OM. Yes, that um, is right. And can you kind of explain a utility token? Yeah, sure. So you know, as, as you're kind of mentioning, utility tokens are generally kind of again depending on where you're where you're offering the token. Um, There's various kind of rules depending on jurisdiction about what is deemed to be a security or a utility. So utility needs to give it some sort of 
again, utility that maybe it's used as a governance token or a payment token or something that's not deemed such as like it's giving dividend payments to an individual, which should be deemed in most countries as a security. So you need to be careful of security tokens because they require licensing to issue them. You need to be careful who you distribute them to, who you sell them to, et cetera. And I think the common utility token people would be familiar with might be such as Ethereum, yes. which you use to pay for transactions on the Ether network. Yes, exactly. So OMCoins are utility tokens for the Mantra DAO network. Yes, exactly. So we use them for governance. We use them for kind of enhanced kind of financial rewards. So you can stake them and earn additional rewards. You can use them as collateral, borrow against them, a number of different things. As I mentioned kind of earlier, we're also building our own blockchain. So the OM token will also be used as a gas paying token, just like Ethereum is. Awesome. And I do know that you've got a mix of blockchains that you <laughs> work across. Uh, Absolutely. Why the need for your own private blockchain? So we, well, first off, we just believe in a multi-chain future. You know, we... We're agnostic in the sense that, like, when we, we have a validator node business, we so we run you know proof of stake nodes for for various uh, POS chains, and we support a number of different ecosystems. We have ETH 2.0, we have Polkadot, we have Cosmos Tendermint chains, we have you know Matic and and you know Luna and whatever. You know, we have all these different chains that we support. So we've always just felt like that from day one. It's better to put your eggs in many baskets than in one. But at the same time, we've also built out like. And that's actually part of the thing that's been con- a bit confusing for the community with Mantra is we have so many different products that many projects only have one of them, but we have like we're like a combination of so many, right? So we have lending and borrowing, which could be similar or, or or you know comparable to just one particular project that only does that. We have a launch pad, which could be comparable to one project that only does that. We have staking that does only that, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. So what we kind of found out is that we're building a DAP or decentralized app or applications, a DAP of DAPs. So we have all these different DAPs, but the value accrual is not as clear as it could be if you have to use Ohm to participate on all these different things. And then it also allows us to drive incentives towards you know our chain specifically, all while allowing us to launch other different DAPs through you know incubation or investment or just other you know tangential projects we want to launch on the same chain, we actually took this idea from Luna. It's one of my favorite projects, um, Terra Luna, Terra Money. And part of the reason we also want to do that is because going back to the DAO idea, we want to run a proof of stake blockchain where you have a validator community which also participates in the governance of the chain, the network, et cetera, et cetera. Right, understood. And how's the coin living up to your expectations and the development of the chain coming along? I mean, it's been great. Like the the community itself has been, you know, awesome with our with the support of the project. You know, again, like I said, we have we've had tons of highs, tons of lows. So I'm not going to comment specifically on the price of, of of Ohm at the moment, but the community of token holders is growing every day. That's a good sign. We increasingly have more stakers, more suppliers, more people using the platform. And we're on the like literally on the cusp of launching, you know, V2 of multiple versions of our of the platform. So you're gonna have new enhanced features, better user experience, better UI, better incentives, like all these different things have been really kind of retooled and, and thought about as we've been able to progress, grow the team, you know, bring on some really, you know, solid individuals and and, and really capable people to help with the project um, as part of the DAO, <laughs> literally all over the place. And then in terms of the chain. 
it's definitely a 2022 project. It's a big one, <laughs> but we've, we, we're we pretty well into the kind of the research stage of, of the project. And, you know, we're, we're definitely looking forward to, to launching that. I mean, it's going to be a big, big thing for our community. Okay. Well, John, I appreciate you picking apart DAOs and explaining DeFi. Let's get a little simpler for a moment. And I've got some crypto. Uh, let's say it's Ethereum or Matic. And mm-hmm. I keep it in a cold wallet and it's you know safe and sound but there's more i can do with it let's start walking through some of the services provided by mantra dow and let's start with staking can you sure walk us through what that is and why i should care so there's two types of staking that i think is important to really kind of set the tone at the beginning there's what we call DeFi staking uh, and then there's like POS node staking. The difference on those two is the node staking is essentially you stake to a proof of stake chain that runs validator nodes on this network that then validate the transactions and you're actually literally securing the network by staking to these various nodes. Um, That's like on a decentralized network, right? That's the node staking. On the DeFi staking, you're not actually securing any transactions by locking your tokens in a smart contract. What you're doing is you're just locking tokens out of circulation, making them more scarce. So there's multiple ways you can do that. You can do a single asset staking. So it's like, okay, let me stake Ohm. I get more Ohm. Obviously, you get paid to lock your tokens away in the hope that in the future, you know, that APR will make sense for why you're not able to, you know, sell them. So usually there's some sort of like penalty for early exit or, you know, some sort of withdrawal time. So you're you're not just like earning all these tokens, dumping them and then, you know, et cetera. So that's kind of like a single asset staking within DeFi. There's also kind of um, liquidity provision or LP. So like if you're a uh, liquidity provider on a DEX like Uniswap, you have to provide both sides of the trading pair. So let's say it's Ohm, ETH. So you have Ohm and Ethereum. You do them in 50-50 contribution, right? You earn or you get an actual another token when you lock those tokens. It's called an LP token, which you can then take that LP token. It's fungible, stake it, and then you get paid again for providing liquidity on that pair. So you're exposing yourself to IL, impermanent loss, which is a whole nother topic. <laughs> Basically, it's like if one token ends up going up in price because of the bonding curve of the of the, of the the AMM, you could potentially be you know losing money on one side of the trade versus the other. But you're exposing yourself to that, but you're providing liquidity, which is a benefit to the project because you want deep liquid markets in case people are selling or buying. And then you're also earning a reward in whatever token that they determine. So those are like the two main kind of styles of staking. The most simple is just the single asset DeFi staking. It's just locking in a smart contract, set it, forget it. Right. So if I'm new to Mantra DAO, I come to the site, what's the process and how do I get started? You basically go onto the staking page, which I think is like app.mantradao backslash staking, something like this. You'll see all the various pools that are available and you can say, okay, I have some Ohm or I have some X token or whatever Y token and I like this we yield it seems attractive you know maybe it's like 50% you know sometimes it's 100% I don't know it can be really really high I'm going to lock my token so you, let's say I have those tokens you go onto the pool you in, enable the pool so you do a kind of enable transaction a spend transaction what it's called and then you do one more transaction to actually stake it and then it's locked and basically at least on our platform how the APRs work or the kind of the yield works is that you have a given kind of rewards pool that's set up for 
you know, X number of days or a certain period of time. And based off of your participation of the entire pool of staked tokens, you get that percentage of reward. So let's say I'm 10% of the pool, then for every block, Ethereum block that's that's mined, I get 10% of the rewards for that block. So that changes based off of if people come in or come out. So like usually if you're early, you know, the, the, the interest is significantly, significantly higher. I mean, I've seen like in the millions of percents, literally, um, which is pretty crazy. Obviously, that doesn't last forever because as soon as someone sees a million percent APR pool, they're flocking <laughs> to try to, you know, earn some of that as well. Right. So the more uh, that contribute, the down comes the rate. Down comes the rate, exactly. So that lasts for a certain set period of time. And then if the project or the, you know, the pool gets refilled, then it can continue going and, you know, essentially in perpetuity. What's the average time uh, people stake with you i know it will vary but i would say the long-term ohm people the the mantras team and sorry community they definitely are longer term stakers because they've been doing this for you know since we launched the platform i would say we also do and provide this service for external parties basically like new DeFi companies new projects that want to have something to incentivize their community but they don't want to build their own staking platform they just come to us. They pay us a small fee. We launch it. We have a pre-existing community that usually, you know, is already interested and engaged, and then they come in and stake as well. So that's generally how how it works. And those guys probably a little bit less, but for us, obviously, we run our own pool, so you know, those tend to be longer-term uh, stakers and hodlers. Okay. Next product is lending and borrowing. Yeah. So we kind of talked about it a little bit when we talked about the non-custodial nature of of, of DeFi. The way that our a platform works is essentially you have a bunch of different assets on the supply side. That's where you know you get paid in interest for providing liquidity for people to borrow against it. And then you have a bunch of assets on the borrow side. You can enable those assets on the supply side as collateral. And each of them has a various collateral factor. So the more volatile tokens have less collateral factor because we don't want people borrowing as much against those tokens. You know, let's say that volatility is like, you know, all over the place. We don't want you being able to borrow 100% of that token because it's going to become under collateralized and then the position is worthless. But on something like a Bitcoin or um, or, or a stable coin, uh, you can borrow more against it, for example, right? And you can enable as many of those assets as you want to borrow against. Let's say you have 50 different assets that you don't want to sell. You just want to enable them as collateral and then borrow stable coins against it you can do so. If you only want to do it against one or two, you can do so. But as long as you supply them on that side, you're actually getting a protocol-driven interest rate. So you're getting paid on this side, and then you're paying you know, more to borrow generally. So if you're putting up ETH, borrowing ETH, obviously you're not making money because you're paying more to borrow it than you're getting paid to supply it. <laughs> but the one kind of interesting thing about kind of DeFi is you have these other ways to add incentives into the mix. So you do this thing called yield farming where you actually, the projects themselves can actually supply and, and provide tokens, which also get airdropped essentially as part of the protocol. So not only are you earning your money to supply your Ethereum on one side, but you're earning some ohm tokens or you're not, or you can even do it on the borrow side. You can actually incentivize people to borrow <laughs> as well. So you can, you know, so you can get, you can yield farm on the borrow side too. So you, not only can you get paid to lend but you can also get paid to borrow on some of these platforms it doesn't it doesn't those don't always last forever because that also has a dilutive effect on the token people tend to sell those rewards but it is a good way to kind of kick start and, and, and jump start uh, liquidity essentially okay so yield farming sounds like staking with a bonus pretty much yeah a lot of these things are pretty uh, similar <laughs> to be honest but yield farming is essentially 
taking you know various different staked tokens and locking them in other contracts to then earn more tokens and you can get very reflexive in this i mean my, my more complex yield farms i'm like borrowing on one side taking those farming someplace else taking that farming it someplace else and it, it can really go in a circle but if if you do the math right you can earn money on all these different things all while maintaining a healthy healthy uh you know leverage Fantastic. Now, let's talk about are there any inherent risks or <laughs> concerns that people should have when approaching any of these products? Uh, yes, a lot. <laughs> I think the first one, most importantly, is just the technical risk. You know, most people don't know, they don't know how to read a smart contract. I mean, let's, myself, I'm, I'm basic at it, but I'm probably better than 90, 99% of the population at it. But that doesn't mean that I know the ins and outs on a, such a granular level that even I can say with 100% certainty looking at a smart contract, is this safe? You have to rely on one kind of brand names. You want to see that there's big backers behind things. You want to see that they've been audited smart contracts by third parties, ideally multiple, um, just to make sure that you know that you're locking it into a smart contract that's safe. You're not going to get what we call rug pulled. So someone can like take the money from the smart contract because maybe they have some administrative key that can allow them to withdraw funds. That's a big no-no, bad. But you also have different kind of exploits that can take place. This happens literally all the time. I would say there's also just general kind of security risk of maintaining your own wallet. Every time you approve a smart contract, there's something that in that smart contract that can actually kind of withdraw funds if you approve the wrong thing. It's this like spend limit. Uh, transaction. So you need to be careful about what you're improving, what links you're clicking on on platforms. People are putting up fake sites all the time. They're getting fished. It's really a uh when you're being your own bank, it's you know it's perilous. Banks are banks because they're good at maintaining security, right? <laughs> so you have to make sure that you practice good key management. You know you have the public and private key within your wallets. Practice good key management. Don't click risky links. You know don't don't do crazy stuff on the internet and uh, you know be very careful about that stuff. Make sure you back up your seed phrases, all these types of things. So that's a big risk. Maybe a longer term risk is obviously regulation, like we mentioned, and just you know a lot of the teams that you're kind of investing in and playing with are anonymous. So you don't necessarily know who these people are. They don't have a reputational risk if they're good at good at remaining anonymous. So they can just run off. They can maybe they have a change of heart one day and they're like, "Okay, I like this project today, but now there's, you know, 500 million dollars in my platform and uh, you know, screw it. I just I don't feel like doing it anymore. I'm just going to go take it and run away." That's entirely possible if you, and, and if there's no reputational risk there, it happens. <laughs> and it has happened. So it has. it's worth working with a DAO, which has a well-established and secure community. 100%. The community is extremely important. Doxed, being doxed as a founder, has its benefits for the community because you know like this is an individual you can trust and put faith in. It has its drawbacks as a founder because you're putting yourself <laughs> in, the, in the crosshairs of, of regulation risk, regulatory risk and scrutiny. But those are the trade-offs. John Patrick Mellon, if you could go back to May 2022, what would you tell yourself? What are the two or three things you wish you knew then? That's a good question. Well, I would have been buying a lot more crypto at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, knowing what I know was about to happen. And just telling myself not to, to, to worry that it's going to work out. I mean, it was a pretty stressful time getting that stuff launched. At, 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 at that time, we really launched it from nothing. You know, having that kind of faith maybe from day one a little bit more would have been beneficial. But I don't regret anything. I mean, the journey's been pretty insane this past year and a half. I'm really thankful and grateful for the community, for, for all the support, for our team. Um, and it's just been, you know, pretty special experience to, like, build these very cool things um, and innovative products with 
you know, extremely smart and, and, and awesome people like all over the world. So we have team members in Asia and Australia and Africa and, you know, uh, the U.S. and kind of all over the place, Europe. So, you know, having that kind of global kind of engagement and, 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 and building atmosphere is just really uh, cool. It's really fun to go into work. Okay. And uh, final question, where do you anticipate yourself to be a year from now? 2022 is going to be kind of our coming out year for Mantra. I mean, we, 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 I think we've always been slept on to be completely honest. And part of that is because we do so many different things. So no one puts us in one box, but I think because we've just continued to build and continue to develop stuff, the, the broader ecosystem and, and, and picture will come start coming together. So I, I think that's going to be, you know, really a, a cool thing. And I'm also really excited to kind of begin pushing things back to the community a little bit more. And, and you'll see the people from the community who are, you know, the super participants and the, the strong community members to rise up and kind of take more leadership roles within some of the stuff. I mean, I don't want to be the, the figurehead of the, of the community forever, right? I mean, I, wa- I want to be a part of it, but, you know, I also want to have other people who, you know, are a part of this kind of decision-making process on everything going forward. So enhanced community ownership of the project. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole point of it anyway, right? I mean, that's what we said from from day one. We want this to be a community project. So it's not meant i mean i'm still on like the council i'm not going anywhere <laughs> but um you know having the community that plays a critical role in you know not just feedback but in actual you know running and operations of certain things will be a pretty cool thing so that's like the true essence of global collaboration fantastic well we're wishing you luck in 2022 and all the years ahead yeah thank you very much i appreciate it thank you Today we had an in-depth exploration of decentralized finance, decentralized autonomous organizations. The future is decentralized, the future is community, and thank you so much to John Patrick Mullen for that fascinating discussion. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star review, and wherever you listen, hit subscribe and like and share it within your community. I'm Walter Jennings, and this is Crypto Savvy brought to you by the Hashkey Group. Thank you for listening to Crypto Savvy, the podcast that delivers the essentials brought to you by Hashkey Group.